I'm Dan Libert. I'm Mike Clemens. Welcome to the Driving Cake Podcast. Let go. Yeah, get to that money pronto. Hey, pronto. Hey. I run my team as pronto. And we're back. Welcome to episode seven of the Driving Cake Podcast, the season finale. I'm one half of your co-host, Michael Clemens. My other co-host, Dan Libert. What's happening with you, my guy? Nothing, bro. Just excited. We're wrapping up the season today. Excited to get into what uh, we're talking about for our, our listeners today. Just excited. <laughs> yeah. So we'll recap uh, a little bit about season one, some plans for the future, what to expect from season two, and then we'll talk about um, the NBA restart briefly and talk about life in the bubble, and then we'll wrap it up. We just kind of wanted to put a, a period on the end of the season to make sure Everybody's up to date on what's going to happen and what to look forward to. So um, to start things off, first of all, I'm going to ask you, Dan, how are things basketball-wise and training-wise since the last time we discussed this topic? I think the last time we discussed it was episode zero, which is about five and a half to six weeks ago. So how have things changed for you basketball and training-wise since the last time we spoke about that? Yeah, so um, I've been – I wouldn't say stuck, but just kind of situation wise, I've been, I've had to stay in Canada all summer, which is fine. Uh, I've made the best of it. Um, it's been a lot of adjusting because I planned on going home multiple times. I had different times where I would go home and I was, I, I was kind of in contact with my trainers and people that I usually work out with and things just kind of have fallen through, but this has been a summer of learning to adjust and, and adapt to your environment and your situation so gyms have been opening back up uh basketball gyms is what opened up first but i was thankful and blessed to have a uh, a home gym pretty much throughout the whole quarantine so that was uh, a huge blessing to be able to work on ball handling really get my my strength and my lift on kind of the whole time but now with uh weights are open up here and basketball courts are open so I'm pretty much getting in two to three workouts a day every day right now and I feel like I'm really getting back into it for sure and my rehab on my ankle's been going really well so it's, it's been a good smooth transition and a, a a real blessing to really stay up here and get the work that I've been able to get yeah um I think for me it's it's the same in terms of staying here being a blessing um I was already planning on staying the summer here in Canada. I was going to go home in May. That didn't work out. So I took a summer school class, which was about six weeks. And then beginning of June, I got a a job at Gold, which gave me access to the weight room now. So me and you have been going. So just having that access to the weight room whenever I want, that's nice. It allows me to to start my training again, but also to kind of like play around because I have access to the gym whenever, right? So I can go in there and I'm not limited by time or it's not way out of my way to get to the gym. So that's nice having that resource available. Um, basketball wise, I mean, we have a summer league that started here in Leftbridge. I'm unable to, I'm unable to play in most of the games just because it's during work, but I still have time to, you know, get outside to the court to get shots up. So, so for me, not having a season since I'm not playing no more, I have a lot more time to just kind of work on my plans for the, the team this upcoming year. I can program the, uh, a performance program for them. I can start thinking about the system we want to run. So, just being here away from the, the distractions back home and kind of being out isolated up here. I have more time to just focus on what I need to focus on and kind of get my priorities and goals in place. So it's been a blessing in disguise to kind of back up what you said. 
Um, yeah, just just kind of one more thing to add. It's been really uh really eye opening to me. Really kind of made me reflect on how much basketball has really given me as far as like just connections and being able to meet people and just really long life friendships, like guys that I played with for one year or two years or barely even played with, but like we know similar people. Um, that's really been my, my gateway into being able to get a gym, you know, with you, I'm, we're getting the work in every morning. It's been, it's been really good. And I, as I said, it's just been a good reflection of how basketball unites us all to me and like, you play with someone one year, but I can hit him up four years later and be like, hey, let's go work out. Let's go get some work in. So that's been really crazy to me. Yeah, the the, the lifelong connections are are something I think that uh, the young guys or young players, coaches tell them that, but I don't think they understand the value in that. The relationships and the connections are everything. I think me and you may have been talking off camera or it might have been somebody else. When you win a championship or you accomplish something as a team, you remember that, but you remember the moments in between. You remember the bus rides, the hard workouts, the funny moments in practice. Those are the things that last a lifetime, right? Like you said, you know somebody for a year or two years, and you can always you always have that connection and that bond to them. So when I tell people, like, basketball can do so many things for you, I think this generation gets so caught up in, I want to I wanna make the league. And I, part of it is like, yeah, you want to make the league because you like hooping, but a, another part of it is, is you see the lifestyle through Instagram or social media that they're living, you know, you know, they're getting all the reactions from people. They get to dress up on the way to games. It's just like, that's cool and all that's a perk, but that's not the real value in it. Right. You love the game, obviously, but those connections that last a lifetime and that network, that is more important than anything else in my opinion. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. So, um, transition to start talking about season two of the podcast or we'll we'll talk about season one and then talk about what's in store for season two so in your opinion what are some of the biggest successes and maybe a few obstacles of season one of the podcast so far um in my opinion the biggest successes has just been the the love and the the props that we've been getting from so many people people that i haven't talked to in years people that i know from middle school high school that i don't talk to that aren't even basketball players or that I know like the biggest basketball fans or whatever, but we're just getting so much love, man. Like it's not, we're not growing. Like we're not obviously massive. We're not a huge hit, but like we're, to me, it's, it's about, it's about the small victories and like to know that we're a hit with the people that we are reaching out to and and touching that are actually listening to us. We're getting consistent listens, consistent, everything consistent love consistent positivity it's been it's, it's been real real good real eye-opening to me to realize like we are able to put out good content but people want to listen people want to listen to two people that can really talk about the game talk about the game they want to hear what, what we have to say um so that's been kind of crazy to me and then the struggles i mean it's just tough we kind of just We've, we had this idea that was good, and it's just been us figuring it out on, on our own. So I think that's been kind of crazy. It struggles, but it's, it's been a lot, of, a lot of good learning moments as far as figuring out the best way to put our podcast out on the, on the big platforms, the best way to reach out to people, to find guests, to find people to help push our, our product, to keep coming up with ideas on how to grow as far as, like, you know, merchandise, thinking about – 
things we're trying to come up with in the future. So just finding the best ways to grow and trying to stay consistent has been kind of the hardest thing for me. Uh, what about you, bro? I'd say the biggest successes is uh, similar to what you said, but um, like the feedback, I like that, but I like more of the allowing players that may not have had the chance to really express and tell their story to come on and express their story. And then me able to ask the questions I want to ask and dig deeper so I can learn more about myself while helping them learn about themselves. Like, the feedback is cool and it's really like, it's humbling, but like, that's not why I do it. You know what I mean? That's not yeah, what yeah. drive. That's not what drives it. So when I get that, it's like, okay, that's cool. But it's always like, I know what I need to do. And I know what we need to do to kind of make it how we first envision. So like, that's always what's driving me. So I would say the biggest success for me is just allowing people to come on this platform to tell their story and for us as hosts and them as guests to learn more about themselves and more about ourselves and to just feed off each other and learn and grow. That's been the biggest success to me. I've heard multiple different stories and then I try to reflect and look at mine like, okay, I can kind of see and take bits and pieces and learn and add. And I think they could take bits and pieces from what we say as well. So that's the biggest successes for me. And then obstacles, I would say just staying consistent, just always, you know, not only coming up with new fresh ideals and questions, but tailoring the questions to our guests, also trying to trying to record on the same day, you know, trying to get it out on time, trying to make sure we market ourselves, just staying consistent, doing all the little things I would say is the biggest obstacle. Right. Yeah. So that would that would probably be my biggest successes and obstacles for me. So we're kind of like on the same page on that one. So what's in store for season two? Shoot, just more fun, more guests, more more stories. You know, we have – I know you and I talk off camera a lot about this, and we just – we have so many ideas, and I, I'm just excited to put these ideas to work, man. Um, I'm excited to – you know, we've kind of focused a lot on Americans or people who have been from America, kind of that transition from America to Canada. I'm excited to look at people's stories that are a little different, you know, people that stayed – in the NCAA, people that went from JUCO to the NCAA, people that have only been in Canada their whole lives. Like, it's just, we have so many more ventures and uh, routes to explore, to hear the story and the success, the struggles from. So I just think we have, especially now, knowing what works, what doesn't, and we're going to keep figuring that out more and more. But I just feel like we're going to keep getting more refined, getting sharper, and the content's going to be better like even more consistent even i don't know i just i feel ourselves growing with with every episode and that's that's kind of what's, what's exciting about it to me yeah so for me my vision of season two is a lot what you said um just being more refined right just um learning how to feed off each other a little bit smoother um making sure our our sound quality is a1 every single episode making sure the editing is A1, which you do a great job of. Um, but yeah, just being uberly consistent in the quality as well as scaling the uh, season two up. Like season one, I thought was a really, really good season one. But season two, now the NBA started, I'm excited to actually be able to talk basketball ourselves and express our basketball IQ on camera and through this platform. Because it's, it's one thing to interview somebody it's kind of easy 
But when you're talking about the league and stuff, I feel like I really have a lot of information to give people, or at least my perspective. I want people to be able to see the game and the league and the restart kind of like through my eyes and your eyes. So we can kind of, that's going to help us stay sharper. We're going to have to keep up with what's going on and actually really watch it. And it's going to help, it's going to help us grow as hoopers and help our IQ. And I think it's going to help people in the audience who want to listen to that type of stuff. It's one thing to listen to NBA analysts, Richard Jefferson and Paul Pearson, but these guys have won rings. It's one, another thing to listen to people that are kind of still in the grind, very different backgrounds, but are very aware of what's going on. Right. So I think, that's what excites me for season two. And that's what I'm looking for for season two personally. Yeah. And I think it's going to be dope. We're going to just have a, a lot bigger like diversity as far as our content, you know, we're Yeah. I love having guests on, but as you said, like I love just talking hoop and I feel like we're both educated enough on it. And we're so passionate about it that we're going to be putting out the best content that we can give. And as you said, it's a, it's a fresh perspective and we're, we're analyzing it as, as fans, but we're, we're striving to, to be better hoopers ourselves. So I, like, I think that's what makes our, our content, our, what we're doing so unique. And so I'm just excited for that. Yeah. I'm just excited to be able to express my opinion on the platform and put it out to the world. Like I said, bro, me personally, I don't like, I want to grow just because, that's how you make something into what we we've all we, that was our ideal was to grow but right like i don't care about nothing else but just doing the best that we can do and making our vision come true and i think everything around us will just fall in place right the other stuff will come with it but i'm just excited to actually just talk basketball and chop it up and the nba starting back the only major sports really like i mean soccer is back but we're ready for the nba <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> um yeah, so we already kind of answered the next question about how the podcast can grow, but um, I'll ask it anyway. How do you think the podcast can grow from season one? Like, what is one, maybe one or two specific things that, you know, we can grow and implement in season two? I think our biggest thing, we've, we've been doing a great job of getting guests on and getting fresh perspectives and stuff, but in my opinion, it's really – our, our best way to grow is to to build a bigger network. You know, we need to get out of our comfort zone of just having people on that we know. Yeah, we, we, we've had some great stories, but I feel like our, our next kind of step is to venture out to people that we, we've seen a lot from afar, like that both of us are kind of unfamiliar with their stories. And because I really want to dive into people that I know of, I, I know their story. I, I know that they're, they're nice. They have a lot to offer, but I don't know them personally. Cause that's to me, the, the best guests have been the ones that I don't know that you've brought on. And, and maybe it's the, the same for you just because I'm learning so much from people that I don't really know about, but they have so much to offer still. So that, that's kind of it for me. I feel like we need to grow our, our network of both listeners and, and, and guests. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, my opinion, my personal opinion, I think that'll come. Uh, I think we have to establish an audience first, right? Like you can't, it's hard to try to adventure out when you don't know who your consistent listeners is. So I think having people that are close to us in the very beginning, it helps establish who's probably going to listen two, three seasons from now. Yeah, I absolutely want to grow. And there's some guests I have in mind. Um, Aaron Jones from the Packers, you probably ain't hearing this now, but we're going to get you on the show eventually. I want you and your brother on the show. 
Um, anybody else in particular you want to try to shout out and try to get them on the show? I'm trying to get Dorian Pickens. Uh, this dude was like, I wouldn't say my childhood hero, but I really looked up to him like hometown hero for me. He, he, he was really, he, he's still in the grind. He's in the G League right now. I want to get my boy Greg Gilman on here. Starting a great movement with his training, and he, he manages an NBA player. And I want to try and get Brian Lewerke, uh, Michigan State quarterback. He's on the Patriots right now. Just people like that. Like, I wouldn't say more high profile, but just people that are, are going to excite both us and our listeners. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I definitely want to get, like I said, I want to get Aaron and his twin. I know them personally, so hopefully I could pull a favor down the line. Um, I want to get Randy Culpepper, played at UTEP, playing overseas like a 10-year pro. Um, those are the two right now on my list. I have a few more, but they'll come to mind as, as things progress forward. But, yeah, no, definitely. We'll definitely expand the, um, the guest list and definitely want to get people from different avenues, getting football players and people that have this, this extensive background in playing sports their whole life, right? They've gone through everything. They've gone through the pros. They've gone through – trades and different coaches and systems right they just have so much to offer to any athlete or any person who's on their own journey right there's a lot of things that athletes do that regular people who don't play sports can take from and kind of ad adopt that mentality or that mindset or whatever you can just learn from their story right everybody can learn from everybody so that's that's my thing right yeah bro that's that's so true because i think uh i was listening to Kobe bryant um, he was on a podcast, I forget which one it was, but I just remember him saying sports is the greatest metaphor for life. So I just think anyone from anywhere doing whatever excites them, we can learn from through sports. <laughs> so No, yeah, exactly. It's part of the reason um, I think the world, at least North America, is super happy that the NBA is back. So the NBA is back, what is today? July 20th, 10 days it'll be back. July 30th, the first game start. Got it circled. Got it circled. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think they're playing. I don't know if that's the first game day or like the first scrimmage day. I'd have to. to that's confirm. the first. So yeah, so I got it for you. It's the first official games, but I think the 26th through 29th, each team is going to have three scrimmages, and I'm actually not even sure if they're going to televise those. But I, I know yeah. for July 30th is the first official day of games in the bubble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's let's talk life in the bubble, man. Like um. I feel like there was so much, I don't want to say speculation, but that was the talk, like the, the bubble, the bubble, the bubble. The fact that they gave it the name, the bubble, and everybody's saying that it's on ESPN, it's on Get Up, it's on NBA The Jump. You know what I mean? So we had our perspectives before they actually got into the bubble, but now they're in there, right? And they're starting to adjust to life in the bubble. So what is your opinion on the early first few weeks of NBA life in the bubble and what you've heard and what you've seen? Man, I think... I think for a lot of these NBA players, so it, I feel like it's been really split. It's been so many guys being used to living this glamorous life at home. And right now they're being so, so limited in what they can do, what they can eat, what, you know, what they can do with their free time. And so I feel like, I feel like it's the easiest right now for the young guys because all of the, yeah, I feel like it's easiest for them because so many of them are just gamers, bro. Yeah. <laughs> they can really just stay in their room all day and just game, and they're still, you know, they're streaming, they're doing whatever. Like, they're really just gaming, going to practice, eating, gaming. Like, it, it's – I don't think for them it's a huge lifestyle. For a lot of the young guys that are, you know, my generation, their generation, they really grew up just, just gaming. Like, that's really your thing. For the old guys – 
like I see a lot of them just going out and fishing, going out and doing whatever they can to, to stay active, to, to keep their mind busy because they have so much time on their hands right now. Like, yeah, they're practicing once, twice a day, weights, whatever, but there's so much time on their hands. And I just feel like the biggest adjustment for all them is just the freedom. Like, yeah, the, it, it may be easier for the young guys. And I do think – it's easier for the young guys, as I said, just because of gaming and things that they can do just by themselves. But the the freedom and the the luxury that they're used to living in, like obviously it looks like the NBA has done a great job of setting it all up, but so many guys in the first two weeks have already broken quarantine. And that's going to be super tough for so many guys. If, you ha- if you've been practicing for a week, your body's dead and then you have to quarantine again for two weeks and then just you're excited to come right back in and produce and be ready to play that's that's tough that's really the the toughest part to me is the the basketball lifestyle the luxury lifestyle going from that to this and you know i i think i'd be fine but that's also because i'm a gamer so it's easy for me to stay in my room all day and just go hoop whenever but i don't know what's your take on it (laughs) Yeah, I definitely think it's easier for the young guys just because of gaming and stuff like that. But I also believe it's because when you say young guys, we're thinking 18 to like 23, 24, they haven't really adjusted to the NBA life or they probably don't have family or kids. Well, most of them, they might have one kid, maybe a girlfriend, but they're not really married and they're, they're typically younger, right? The, the league is young. So like they haven't adjusted to NBA life to the point where they have a lifestyle. They're not a vet at living that life so somebody like a, a a real vet like a chris paul and lebron james not only are they older and they have family and kids but they've done this so long that they've adjusted they, they have a, a certain routine i don't think the younger guys have routines as much as the older guys like lebron i'm sure he's his routine at the crib is probably super strict you know he does this at this time does that at this time. the young guys it's like okay i'm going to practice i'm getting shots up after practice then i'm just going home and having free time so yeah it's kind of easier that way when you don't have the routine right so I don't know if it's necessarily the luxuries like I think a lot of those guys are probably used to the luxuries but the biggest thing is like they're just restricted right you can't see nobody but really your team and everybody's at a different hotel like the higher seeds are at one hotel the mid seeds are at this hotel and then lower seeds are at the other hotel so everybody's kind of separated like Drew Holiday like him and his brother are in a separate hotel they can't even go see each other yeah three of them are there but it's you know what I mean he can't even go see his brother so Yeah, yeah um I don't think it's bad. I just think it's new, right? You went from being at home worried about the health and safety of your family and people around you and contracted this virus to being put in this place with the rest of the league, right? Teams don't usually stay at the same hotel. It's like you're seeing the Bucks, the Lakers. Everybody's at one hotel. It's just you guys. The staff are not really in there. So that's a bit different seeing everybody all day. That's like AAU feel, right? It's old yeah. school. So um, I think I think as time goes on, the guys will adjust. And as – when the game started to be way easier, right? They're not going back and forth to the arena. Everything's nearby. Everything's kind of taken care of. So it's like, it really is just basketball. You're not really worried about, you know, crazy fans. Well, not crazy, but just seeing a bunch of people signing autographs. It's just basketball. It's you and your team. You know, you're restricted access to most life's amenities, even though it's still good in the bubble. Like, you've got a barbershop, fishing, and ping pong tables, and gaming. They're living all right. They're fine. But, um, but, yeah, that's kind of my opinion on all that. So, um, biggest issues moving forward in the bubble? Man, I just think 
players breaking quarantine, man. I feel like it's been so many guys not like not taking it seriously, just kind of how it's been in, in, in the real world. Like there's, and I applaud the NBA for being so strict on it because they want to make this happen. They want every, like, it's also shedding light on how seriously the rest of the country needs to be taking it right now. As soon as a guy crosses a certain line, you're quarantining for two weeks, no matter if you tested positive or negative again, whatever it is. And I just think that's a, uh, they're trying to set an example for the rest of the country, but they're being, they're setting the tone from the jump. This is how it's going to be. And if you're not with it, you're not going to play. And I, I hope that they continue to be this strict. I hope that the big stars, like the LeBrons, the Giannis, the, the Hardens, all those guys, it seems like the right guys are taking it seriously enough. And I hope that they set the tone, but I'll, I also really hope that, if uh, LeBron does break some rules, which I don't think he will, but say if he did, I hope that they maintain consistency because that's my biggest thing is you can't play favorites. And clearly they've, they've been pretty, pretty good about that. I mean, uh, Marvin Bagley today, he's the best player on the Kings, arguably, and he broke quarantine. And yeah, he got hurt. So that's a big reason he won't play, but he, he broke quarantine. So even before being hurt, he broke quarantine, and he would, he has to quarantine for two weeks without doing anything. And then the other biggest thing is is injuries. These guys have been it, – it'll really show who's been active and who hasn't really been on their grind the last who knows how much time, but injuries. So now you factor in injuries and quarantine. You know, Russ and James Harden, they both tested positive. Can they come back and be just as productive? Or can someone play two games, test positive – come back after two weeks and still help their team win, still produce immediately after having to take two weeks off of everything. Like that's, that's kind of my biggest question marks for, for everyone. <laughs> yeah. I'll answer the injury portion after I answer the first part, because I think the injury portion is the most important, but in terms of guys breaking quarantine, I don't think that's an issue because there's money at stake. Like, yeah, guys are breaking quarantine. That's natural. Right. But in terms of the, the teams, just trying to enforce the rules because it's what's right. That's not why they're doing it. They're doing that strictly to get the money for the rest of the season and to have a, a season, right? Everybody wants to get paid, owners included. And there's a CBA agreement that's up at the end of the season, and they do not want to end this season not playing because it's going to give the owners leverage going into that agreement. So I think it's more of like we're there. it's in the best interest of both parties to limit – possibly shutting everything down because it spread so quickly. So like guys are breaking quarantine, like Rashawn Holmes broke it for food, right? Like, and I've, I'm sure other people may be doing other things, but I'm sure as a consensus, they're trying their best not to break it strictly from a money perspective. Like guys are making, you're leaving millions of dollars on the table. Each person you talk about teams are leaving. I don't want to say hundreds of millions, but millions of dollars on the table. If the season doesn't happen, you're talking TV agreements, contracts all that right so i think it's just in the best interest of both parties in terms of just straight money right and just terms of like just being hungry and ready to play one person gets it and you spread it like that's a risk you can't be willing to take so i don't know if it's necessarily that they're trying to like just be good guys and not do it but it's more like nah we're trying to play because we need the money and we just want to play that's my opinion on it and then in terms of injuries like you're right um just being out for so long and not 
doing weight bearing stuff like you can do plyometrics and all that but nothing beats playing five on five consistently right and then you have three scrimmages and then eight games and then boom you're into the playoffs i think the first round of the playoffs start like like august like 17th and then the conference finals is like 14 days later later or some shit like that i was like that's crazy that's hardly any rest yeah so i'm very curious to see what injuries how serious the injuries are and then kind of how that how they manage that right like that's going to be huge people's depth on their bench and who has the best training staff is going to be monumental something people are not going to talk about but things that are going to help teams actually move forward and huge advantage huge advantage facts facts so um orlando bubble edition so we got some vets that got signed you know Everything that happened in Brooklyn, they got like four or five guys who opted out not to play. Injuries, Corona, so they have a lot, a lot of space on their squad. So they signed Jamal Crawford and Mike Beasley. So how do you feel about those pickups? Mike Beasley went home. I think he caught Corona, but Jamal yeah. will be back in action, and I think the ball's gonna be in his hands because they don't really have a lot right in Brooklyn. So I think that's yeah. gonna be interesting. What's yeah. your opinion well, on that? Well, first of all, I think we can say that implicitly Brooklyn's thrown in the towel <laughs> there. I mean, yeah, I, I love the addition of Jamal Crawford. You know, I'm happy to see him back in the league. I'm, I'm happy to, I'm excited to see him play again because he's the man's a walking bucket at 40, 41 years old, but Brooklyn, I mean, their top five players aren't playing. They, they could have had KD. They could have had Kyrie. They could have had, Spencer Dinwiddie, none of them are playing. So they bring in Jamal Crawford. I, I think I'm excited to see Jamal play, but I Brooklyn's going to be out in the first round. <laughs> Let's be realistic. So as far as Mike Beasley, like it's it's dope seeing him running all these these private runs that he's been doing and t- to get picked up. You know, it's a testament to him for how much of a bucket he is and how much of a big name he really still is after – having a subpar career for what his expectations were. But, I'm, you know, I'm excited to see these guys play. But Brooklyn specifically, because they're the ones that made these pickups, Brooklyn throwing at the towel. They're, they're out of there in the first round. Yeah, I can agree with that. I don't know if I agree with them throwing in the towel as an organization. I think you knew, you knew KD wasn't coming back. Kyrie was already out for the season. And then the other two got corona. So it was like, I don't know if it was necessarily like, they're throwing in the towel because they, you know what I mean? They're not going to get no draft picks. So it makes no sense to do that. I think it's more of like an opportunity to see if they're going to keep like Levert, Jared Allen. Um, what's the shooter name? Uh, Joe Harris. Joe Harris. I think this is a great opportunity for the young guys to really see who's going to be on the team moving forward. Guys, Garrett Temple. And they have another European dude. I can't think of his name. But I think this is a good, you know, time to see who they're going to keep. Like, as soon as KD wasn't coming back, their season was over from the jump. So. Yeah, yeah, but, um, exactly. Yeah, so let's talk in terms of some of the top teams. We're looking east and west, so maybe the top three or four seeds, or maybe some of the, the bigger name storylines, like Houston's a sixth seed, but they're one of the bigger stories. Talk about some of the biggest X factors on some of those top teams and kind of express what you think can make maybe shift some team's fortune one way or the other, what needs to happen for that to go a certain way. Yeah, for sure. Um, to me, okay, so as far as top teams, the Clippers, they're my favorite to win, but how long has that whole squad really played together? 
because <laughs> even during the year, Kawhi is taking a bunch of DNPs. Paul George taking a bunch of DNPs. They bring in uh, Reggie Jackson. They bring in somebody else. I forget who, but their their squad on paper is stacked. But how how effective is that going to be after not really playing and then kind of having these what three weeks to really get ready? I mean. I'm excited to see what they can do, but to me, that's my biggest question for them: is how how well does that team really work together? Because um, that's going to be the X factor. Yeah, Kawhi can probably take them a certain way, but they need a full team to win. And you know, in, in Toronto, he had a full team that he was with all year, working with all the time, and that was just a great organization. I I, I have faith that Doc Rivers will be able to pull it together, but that's my biggest question for them um, in the East. In the East, my biggest question mark is, is Pascal Siakam ready to be that guy for the Raptors? Because he was in a bit of a Batman and Robin role with, uh, with Kawhi last year. Clearly made a huge jump this year, but can he take that same Raptors team? The Raptors are a great organization, great top-to-bottom team, but is that team ready to be on their own without that superstar that they kind of traded for or whatever? So that's, that's my biggest question mark for those. Uh, those kind of top team areas. What about you, bro? Oh, I have a lot of a lot of opinions, but I'll kind of get through them quick. The first, I want to see the chemistry of the Blazers. I'm very curious because I think they're the best, in my opinion, the best option to get the eighth seed. Just because I think Dame and CJ will play good regardless. And now that you're getting Collins and Nurkic back, I'm curious to see how Collins. Nurkic and Whiteside all fit together in the rotation. And Mello. You said who? Uh, Mello. No, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm talking in terms of, like, their five. Because I know Mello's going to play. He's going to get burned at the three and the four. But I'm very curious to see how they, like, how the chemistry is going to be between those three. Because Whiteside has played really well. But Collins gives them, you know, shot blocking as well. But he's a little more – he's a little quicker, can switch more. You actually throw it into him in the post a little more than Whiteside. I'm curious to see how all that works out. I'm curious to see the Jazz. The Jazz, um, I think what's his name is hurt for the year, Bogdanovich. Yeah. Um, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy, they say they're okay, but I'm very curious to see that dynamic and then see if Mike Conley starts living – I don't want to say him living up to expectations, but that him fitting in with the current squad, living up to expectations. Um, I'm curious to see the Rockets small ball, to see how that's going to work during, like, the playoffs when things slow down, you feel me? So, uh, yeah, a lot less possessions. You're gonna have to rebound. Are they gonna be able to push the pace for three, four rounds, right, to actually win a championship? So, I'm very curious to see that. Um, out east, I'm looking at my Miami Heat. We've been good all year, but I'm curious to see if Jimmy ups his scoring in the playoffs, or if he's still gonna play team ball. Like he can get his, but I'm curious to see if he's gonna actually take the responsibility of carrying the team a little more offensively, just being more aggressive, even though he's getting 17, 18. I want to see if he's going to up it to 25 to really try to make a push as far as we can. Um, who else? Who else is out east? I'm curious to see Toronto. I don't know if they have an X factor, but like you said, I think Pascal went from like 17 points a game to like 26. The way he plays, it's a lot of like uh, fast breaks, getting the rebound, going back up, stuff like that. So, like, he doesn't really have a defined offensive arsenal. So I'm curious to see who their go-to score is going to be. Like, it's not Lowry. 
Van Fleet's averaging 18. Like, they're really balanced. So I'm curious to see how that's going to work in a playoff scenario. And then the last team I'd probably say is probably Boston, bro. Kimba's knee is a little, a little hurt. But I'm curious to see them because they're small, but they have – their wings are just elite, man. Like, yeah. between Tatum and Brown, Brown's averaging 19. I think uh, Tatum's about at 20. And then you got Gordon, who had, who's not playing the greatest, but it's like he's healthy now and he, he was playing well. So I'm very curious to see how they look. And then one more team, actually, Philly. Philly moving Ben Simmons to the four, which I've been fucking – excuse my language, which I've been trying to, like – I've been hoping for because to me, the way the game is set up, he can push the ball in transition without him having to run back and get the outlet. He can get the ball and still play point forward and not have to be the point guard. So now that he's not the point guard, I think that's going to neutralize people gapping him to shoot because he's going to be in the paint, right? So it gives them more shooting by starting Milton at the one, but I'm curious to see how that dynamic is. Him at the four and Simmons at the five, that's something we haven't really seen. Right, we've seen the one at the five, but four and five, that is tell name a better front court, a more talented front court in there the is, east or in the west. There is, I mean, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So like that's what I'm very curious to see how that works out. I think he can still play the same style, but I'm curious to see how that works. Yeah. Plus they're both coming off injuries. So yeah, one more for me actually that I just thought of is Indiana. I'm I'm curious mm. with uh if if uh, Vic Oladipo plays, because he said he wasn't going to play, but then he said, he's saying he might change his mind based on how he's feeling in practice. So if Oladipo plays, that's a game changer for them. That that puts them really in the in that top four of the East for me. They're the fifth seed right now, and that's been without Oladipo all year, really. So that's a a big question mark for me. A big uh, team to look at in the East. Um. Let's go award predictions. Let's go rookie of the year. Zah, Zah, Zah or Zion? <laughs> it's got to be Zah, man. Like, it, it has to be Zah. He, he has – he's played all year. He has his team in the playoffs. He is eating, eating. Like, this is a point guard dominant league, and he is right up there with all of them. Obviously, he's not the, the well-established superstar yet, but he is – eating everyone up when I say eating this is a, a four course meal every game <laughs> he is he, he is killing people and yeah Zion would have been my pick if he played all year yeah he made an immediate impact since he came back has him back in the playoff race but Ja took over that whole team like Zion is still limited by the fact that he needs to be fed the ball Ja can control the game by feeding others the ball Mm, yes and no. Like, they're not running plays for Zion. Like, he's getting offensive rebounds or pick and roll, and then he's just attacking. Like, all his points are in the paint. It's not like they're not really posting him up. Like, he does post up, but they're not running offense for him. Like, he's getting, like, garbage buckets. But the difference I see is not only is his job played all year, but, like, I think Zion has a better team around him. Like, it's not focused around Zion. Like, they got Drew. They got Brandon. They have other pieces that they can can be the focal point. And just having the number one pick and having a freaking Zion, it just boosts them, right? With Ja, it was like – it was Jaron Jackson, who's a good two-way player and growing offensively, but it's like he ain't the cornerstone to John Morant. He's the best player on that team. He's the driving force. Zion's not really the driving force. He's yeah. the great – he's a big piece to the puzzle, but he isn't the driving force. So, 
you couple that with him not playing all year, and yeah, you you got to give it to job, which they will. Yeah. Um, the def- defensive player of the year. Man, as a guard, I, I really want to say Pat Bev, <laughs> just because he, as I said before, it's a point guard dominant league, and he he makes a lot of winning plays down the stretch on every top point guard in the league, and and it's it's uh it's kind of incredible to see to me how how gritty he is on defense because defense is kind of so, so so slept on uh, nowadays it's kind of a, a second thought if, if you can defend that's a plus but it's really all about offense so to me I want to see Pat Bev but it's going to be one of the bigs I can't I can't I can't give you a name but it's, it's, it's going to be one of the bigs it'll be AD I honestly wouldn't mind seeing Giannis get it he's he's uh yeah he, he, he's probably the if if anyone is gonna do it that isn't named Jordan in in this era, um, it'd probably be Giannis that could get MVP and Defensive Player of the Year in, in the same year. Yeah, those are. Uh, I have two picks. We're torn between Giannis and my guy with the Heat, Bam Adebayo. Um, defensively, when they match up with the Bucks, he locks Giannis up relatively, right? Like Giannis still scores, but like. His field goal percentage is not good against Bam. Like one on one, we can we can let them play one on one, and I, we're fine with that. When I see we, my Heat. Right? <laughs> um, but Giannis too, right? Giannis switches one through five. Bam does. Bam can, but he's more of like two through five, like, and that's sporadically. Like we don't want him guarding twos the whole game. But Giannis really can guard one through five because of his length and agility on the perimeter. Like he really can guard one through five. Um, and with his new added strength, which he kind of added over the last two years. But I saw a picture the other day. I'm like, bro, he's jacked. I mean, if we're playing team favorites, then Hassan Whiteside's win defensive player of the year. Yeah, but he's he's blocking shots and getting rebounds. He's not switching on screens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> so I would, say, I would say either Giannis or Bam, but I want Bam personally because he's the anchor of our defense. Whereas Milwaukee, like Brooke Lopez is playing really good D. Bledsoe's playing good D. Like, they have a good defensive squad. Miami's a good defensive squad, too, but our anchor is really bad. Um, what about most improved? Now, this is an interesting one because you have guys that are second or third years who are already deemed to be superstars in the future, but the jump they made in one year is ridiculous. Yeah. And then you have guys who weren't necessarily expected to make the jump that made a, a gigantic jump. Yeah. So yeah. who are maybe some of your top picks or maybe your favorite to win? Comes down to, to, to three for, for me for that. Uh, it's either Bam. Bam's made a huge jump, but I feel like he's he's kind of in that deemed to be great category. Um, Pascal. Pascal made a huge jump. I mean, yeah. I mean, Pascal really took over that that Raptors team, and he, he has them, what, in the third seed after they lost Kawhi. They just came off a championship. You could, like, it's easy to think that they would have had a huge drop-off, but Pascal really took over. But my favorite to pick is Devontae Graham. Mm-hmm. Um, he is he is nasty. He's, 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 he's – the, the Hornets gave Terry Rozier a huge contract – Everyone thought they overpaid him. I, I I like Terry Rozier, but Devontae Graham just came and took that that job from him. Just straight up took it from him, led that team. That team is I think they're they might be the eight seed, but they're in the playoff conversation and it's 
been Devonte Graham's team all year. And to go from G League superstar, G League star to come in and take over an NBA squad, that's, that's hard to do. And he has the nod from MJ just being on, on that squad. So to me, it's Devontae Graham. Yeah. And see, that's what I'm saying. It depends how you look at it. Because you look at somebody like Pascal. Yeah, he made a big jump. But you look at somebody like Fred Van Fleet, he made a jump too. And he's been – like he went from 11 points to 18, right? So, like, having him step up, plus they're in – the system is so well ran in yeah. Toronto. Like, they have so many valuable pieces, really. He averages the most, but if you watch the game, you wouldn't think he, he averages 26. You know yeah. what I mean? It just doesn't seem like a super impactful 26. Not to say it's not, but it doesn't seem like that. You look at somebody like Devontae Graham, huge jump, even though they got Terry Rozier. But – they also traded for Terry Rozier just so they didn't have Kimball walk away for free because they're in a small market and they needed to get something back at least. And then he was on the bench all year. He was a two-way player. So, like, he's been in the system. So now that that, that point guard role is kind of like, okay, we got Terry in a sign-in trade because we didn't want Kimball to walk away. But Devontae's been in our system. So it's like now they're playing together. Even though it's a small backcourt, they actually played them together a lot. And Devontae is, like, the perfect 2020 point guard can shoot threes off the dribble and can get to the paint and make shots. Like that's, that's really what you need to do to make, to be a point guard in today's league. So it's like, it really depends how you look at it, but him going from four points to 18 is a, a pretty big jump. But um, yeah, I would have to say the most improved in my mind is probably, I want to say Luca, because if you look at his jump, like it's, it's crazy. Like even though Porzingis is here this year, they're, what are they in six right now in the West? Really, you could have Trey Young in there too. Yeah, but I look at Luca as someone like his team's in the playoffs. Yeah, in the West, That's and correct. he's damn near averaging a triple double at twenty years old. He averaged twenty seven, eight, and seven. Like, bro, that is crazy. Yeah, he might be the best twenty year old ever to play the game. Like, we're talking, we're mentioning him with him and Braun. Seriously, yeah. no, one hundred percent. So I would say either my top three would probably be Pascal, Luca, and I got to go with Bam just because he went from was he a third-year player and now he's an all-star like he was nowhere near he wasn't even a fringe all-star last year and now he's an all-star yeah. and he's our lead I think he's our leading rebounder he blocks shots he can switch on the perimeter we can run high pick and roll dump it back to him and him make plays he can pass yeah bro I, so it'd be between those three so Luca um Pascal and Bam those are my three picks but I want Bam because I'm biased so <laughs> but that's that'd be my picks um and the last one, let's go – or last two, let's go coach of the year and then we'll go MVP. So just kind of combine those together. Coach of the year, we keep saying it, man. The Raptors are so incredibly well run. Kawhi left and they didn't miss a beat. I think Nick Nurse, second year in the league, got it last year after they fired the coach of the year, Dwayne Casey. It's got to be Nick Nurse. They, as I, I mean, it's Nick Nurse or, or Eric Spolstra to me. Like, it's just these these coaches that are part of great organizations, but they're, they're running these teams to perfection to where they're not missing a beat. With, you know, the Raptors lost Kawhi. They're still third in the West. Everyone's made a jump. They got guys like Terrence Davis coming out of nowhere, been in the G League for two years, comes out of Ole Miss, Killing. He comes in the last ten, the last five minutes of games when they're up, and he puts up eighteen. They they find great players. They put players in the right position to succeed. They got another dude from 
my hometown in, in Arizona, Paul Watson coming in, killing. Like, it's just they always find the right guys to pick and plug, and it's the same with the Heat. The Heat, they've uh, – LeBron left, D-Wade left. They haven't missed a beat. They're always a playoff team. They're, they're the new Spurs, in my opinion, just because Pop is kind of on his way out, I feel like, over there. But he, even – even pop is, is crazy, but to me, it's it's either Nick Nurse or, or Spo. Yeah, I agree with everything you say with Nick Nurse. Like, he's got them playing at a very, very high level. Even though they, their team is just well-constructed, even though Kawhi left, they have a balance of vets with young talent. You get OG Ananobi back, which adds to the wing. He gives you strong athleticism, versatility on the wing, can guard ones, two, threes, and some fourth. Then you got Pascal, really, really versatile, can guard really one through five, can push the ball in transition, got a veteran point guard, got a veteran big. Like, But for him to be to put it together and them to be third in the East is, is pretty crazy. Um, I would say it's between, for me, Nick Nurse and Mike Budenholzer are the Bucks, And I can throw Frank Vogel in there as my sleeper from the Lakers just because we knew they were going to be good, but I didn't think they were going to be that good defensively. Like, defensively, they are – not only are they big, but they're, they're a good defensive team. They rebound. They protect the rim. They can switch a lot. So, I think my top two picks is Nick Nurse and second, Mike Budenholzer for the Bucks, just because, like, bro, they're good every year. They lost Miritich. They lost Brogdon. They add DiVincenzo, who was already on the bench, plug him in. And then they don't miss a beat. Like, they're better than last year almost. Yeah. I thought they wouldn't be as good, but it's like Giannis is playing better. Bledsoe's playing better. Everybody is playing better this year. So I, and they look like a better team. Are they ready to win a championship? I think so, but we're going to have to find out. But I would say Nick Nurse or Mike Budenholzer and in a far third, Frank Vogel for me. Yeah. We got, we got one more before MVP. We got six man too. Oh, yeah. Six man is, is tough. Um, I feel my like, six-man pick – go ahead. I, I mean, I, I just feel like we, we might skip over six-man because, to me, that's, that's the most obvious one with, with uh, Lou Will. Mm. No? I don't think so. I think, well, Schroeder, I think Schroeder should get it. Yeah, Dennis Schroeder is nasty. And He's he, averaging 19-4 and four with two other guards that are averaging 18-plus. Shea, Shea Gilgis, who's averaging 18-and-a-half, like 19, basically. And Chris Paul is averaging about 18 Shooter's the third guard on the team and averages more than both of them. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy because I, I didn't even think of him. I really just thought Lou Will, man. You know, yeah. Lou Will and Shooter, I guess. Yeah, like, of course, Lou Will is always in the conversation. He's averaging the most. But it's also like that's been his role. Shooter has adjusted to a whole new team. He had Russ last season. You know what I'm saying? Like, you get a yeah. completely different backcourt teammate and role. You add this year, you have two guys, Shea Gilders and Chris Paul. He's the third guard off the bench, and he's still eating. Like, I think I think a sleeper pick that just came to my mind, too, is D. Rose, bro. Yeah? I mean, obviously the, the Wolves haven't, haven't had a good year, but D. Rose is – He in Detroit. He, yeah, he's he's – the way he's adjusted from coming back from these injuries and finally finding a little niche for himself as a bit of a journeyman post MVP, post injuries, that's 
that, that's ridiculous to me. So he might get it just kind of as like a sentimental pick for me. <laughs> yeah, fair. That's a fair sentimental pick. But I'm like, if you're not on a, a real contending team, sorry, brother. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, brother. <laughs> I love D. Rose of Death. It's my guy, but nah. <laughs> just because he's not, they're not on a winning team, right? Yeah. Um, I think a sleeper pick who's not on a winning team, but their team is in the bubble. Phoenix is in the bubble, right? Yeah. Kelly Oubre, even though he's hurt, he's hooping. Well, but he starts. Yeah. So I guess he'd be most improved. The yeah, yeah. So uh, another sleeper pick is uh although he wasn't with them all year, is uh Jordan Clarkson. Because yeah. he was a okay. fantastic addition to the Jazz. And he he, he might be their X Factor because besides their starters and, and Bogdanovich off the bench, I mean Jordan Clarkson, like if if Donovan's having an off night, Jordan Clarkson needs to come in and, and poop. <laughs> Facts. I'm glad he got up out of Cleveland. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but um, man, we covered everything we wanted to cover as far as the NBA and talking about finishing up season one. This is the finale. Talking about what to expect from season two. So, anything else you want to cover before we, you know, we end this off? We just didn't talk about the MVP, bro. That, that was the last yeah. one. Yeah, the last one, the last topic of season season one, episode seven. MVP predictions for the NBA. <laughs> Bron. <laughs> it's it, it, it's hard. Like I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a Bron hater, but I've never appreciated him as much as maybe I should. I can, I can realize that he's great, but to come in at what 37 years old and be doing what he's doing 30, 30 plus. 35 plus he he is to take a team from not in the playoffs to first to averaging damn near a triple double to everything he's doing it comes down to him and Giannis but yeah it's I can't go against Bron this year <laughs> that's how I feel too to a degree like the fact that he's number one in the west they were gonna get home court advantage you know they pretty much had it locked up like you said, the things he's been doing, he's been doing, the minutes he's playing, hasn't suffered injuries, he's still rebounding, shooting the ball better, still doesn't knock down a high clip of his uh, at the free throw line as, as I want because I feel like he gets to the line going to kill him. It's easy money. Yeah, it's hard to go get Bron. He's like right behind. Just because his, who's the second best player on the on the Bucks? Chris Middleton? Yeah, either either Chris Middleton or Eric Bledsoe. Probably Chris Middleton because he's an all-star. Yeah, Chris Middleton is – yeah. You're not giving the ball to Bledsoe to win you games. You give it to Chris Middleton. Uh, I'm so, not. <laughs> you, you crazy. Look at his efficiency. You're crazy. <laughs> I, I, I've never seen a, a straight catch-and-shoot guy be an all-star. But, you know. That's straight catch-and-shoot? Middleton? <laughs> Oh, you better watch the film. You better watch the film. He's one of the best pull-up mid-range guys in the league. Coming off curls and down screens, you sleep. I don't love Chris Middleton, but you just don't like his game. No, I don't. It's different. (laughs) Different. You don't like his game. I don't like his game at all. (laughs) But he's efficient. He's very efficient, and he's a he's a bucket. But um, I would just say like 
what is Chris Middleton in the league? Top 20, maybe? Top 25? 50. <laughs> now nah, he's probably he's top 25. If you're an all-star, you got to be top 25. Yeah. So. so, and then AD is what? Top six? Top five? Yeah. Exactly. So that's my point. Like, Giannis's next best player is top. You know, he's not in the top 15. But Bron has AD. Granted, Bron makes the show run, but it's like, like, bro, you have the best big man in the league. Yeah. The most versatile big man. Like, he's the best big man in the league by far. Yeah, I hear that. So, but it's it can go either way. I wish they were in – well, I guess you can't incorporate these last eight games. But I think Braun deserves one because he's been hoed a few times. But I wouldn't mind seeing Giannis go back-to-back just because I think he's equally as deserving. Like, his record is just as good. Yeah. Even though the East is weak, they have a good record against the best teams in the league. Um yeah, and I think their their team really runs through Giannis just like it runs through Bron. So I think it's very even. So I could see either or winning it, and I wouldn't mind either or winning it. Yeah, no, sure. Yeah, just uh, j- just before we wrap up the episode, I just want to give a, a shout out to some guys. Um, there's this new pro league in Canada started three years ago. It's called the CEBL. It's uh, they're starting their they're playing from their bubble in uh, Niagara Falls. And uh, I think it's going to be a dope ass league. They they have a lot of uh, cool cool things that they incorporate. They draft guys that are currently uh, university players to, to to play for them for for season stuff. So I'm watching uh, my guy Zach Overwater, former teammate. Uh, I've been training with him the last month and a half. And my guy uh, Daniel Adedrian, who's on the Fraser Valley Bandits. Uh, new teammate I'm going to have at Trinity. I just think it's a, it's a dope league, and I feel like it's going to be a lot of good exposure, especially right now with nothing else going on for a lot of these guys to get themselves where they want to be. So I feel I'm excited to watch that in addition to the NBA. <laughs> yeah. It's good that they got another league out here going and an opportunity for university and college guys to maybe not be in America but be close to home to stay in Canada. So dope idea. So that's it for me. I think that's it from you. Let's wrap up. This is episode seven, the season finale of uh, season one. Season two is coming probably next Tuesday. I think we're going to base it around the very first day of NBA restart. So me and Dan will have to get together and come to a consensus about that. But we appreciate everybody that was on the show, everybody that's tuned into the show, uh, everybody that subscribed. If you have any ideas about guests or maybe you want to be a guest or suggestions, you can DM us um, on Instagram at Drive and Kick Podcast. Um, the rest of the information to reach us is on that page. And then we are available on all platforms. So tell a friend. Yes. And that's it for me. Anything else you want to add to that, my guy? No, sir. We are out. Catch us next season. Yes, sir. Season one, episode seven. It's a wrap. It's a wrap. Play me like Nintendo.